Hello, this is Brendan O'Shea. Welcome to this exclusive interview from my archives. For a deeper dive into my interviews and features, please explore tall-poppies.com. That's tall-poppies.com. I appreciate your interest and hope you enjoy the content. Our guest today, the British tanner Ian Bostridge. I'm such a competitive and ambitious person and need be successful at what I'm doing that I was very lucky I was able to try it out and see whether it worked before I committed to it fully. Ian Bostridge didn't initially set out to be a singer. In fact, he studied philosophy and history at Cambridge and Oxford universities, respectively, and received his doctorate from the latter in 1990. But when he won in 1991 the National Federation of Music Society's ESSO Award, he did, as he put it, decide to try his luck at a full-time career as a singer. Since then... Ian Bostridge has become a shooting star of the music world. He holds an exclusive recording contract with EMI for Recording Leader, a rare achievement as Ian Bostridge being the only non-German to have such a contract. Ian Bostridge's first solo disc was a recording of Schumann's Liederkreis, Dichterliebe, accompanied by the pianist Julius Drake. The success of this was followed by a number of other recordings and the beginning of an important musical partnership with pianist Drake. Bostridge gave his first solo recital in the Wigmer Hall in 1995, his operatic debut in 1994 as Lysander in A Midsummer Night's Dream with the Australian Opera at the Edinburgh Festival, and in 1996 he made his acclaimed debut with the English National Opera, singing his first Tamino from Mozart's opera The Magic Flute. Well, since then, he's become a regular on many of the world's great concert hall stages and opera stages. Ian Bostridge's recent seasons include recitals in Paris, London, Stockholm, Lisbon, Brussels, Amsterdam and the Vienna Concerthaus. In North America, he's appeared in recitals in New York at the Frick Collection and the Alice Tully Hall with outstanding critical acclaim. A large amount of Ian Bostridge's repertoire is German lead, and when I met him recently, I asked him firstly about his special relationship with the German language and song. I find that of all my, the languages I sing, German is probably the easiest. I think it comes from having a certain distance from it. It means, you, you are, I suppose, sometimes you're at risk of making mistakes, but as long as you listen to a lot of, of German speaking and singing and you are also prepared to bear with being corrected from time to time, I find the posi- I've got the position for singing better with German probably than any other language, I, so I feel more vocally comfortable. English is, is more, it's a more difficult language to sing in any way, and it's also a language that isn't always set as well. I think Benjamin Britten's probably the best person in the modern period, certainly the best song piano song writer 
who writes in the English language. I think the other great thing about singing in a foreign language for me, like German, is is that the language has a sort of talismanic significance. Words that to a native speaker can seem very ordinary, can seem sort of magical to somebody to whom they're new. Das Wasser rauscht, das Wasser schwoll, ein Fischer saß daran, sah nach der Angel ruhevoll, kühl bis ans Herz you're here presenting this Britain program at the moment, and a lot of the music, of course, to this particular audience is new and different. You experience this quite a bit, of course, when you sing Lieder in, in Britain or other places where German is in the native language. How is it presenting this music, these poems, to a German audience? Well, I find the German audience very responsive. They don't know the music, but then they say, why didn't we know this music? It's such fantastic music. And I, I think since Britain's death, maybe... The, the wider range of his music hasn't been taken about as much as it should have been. I mean, I think the music will stay alive because very cleverly he wrote some very practical as well as brilliant operas for the for the opera repertory, and those will go on being put on, and, and opera companies always want contemporary operas to put on, and that will keep the music alive, and I think maybe that will stimulate and does stimulate interest in the other music. But, I mean, I suppose the, the great advantage of singing in English and Germany is that so many... German people speak such fantastic English, so a, but, but on the other hand, some of the texts are very difficult. W.H. Auden's On This Island is a, is a def difficult text, even for somebody English. But I found an amazing response to um, a wonderful piece, Canticle Three, a setting of, of words by Edith Sitwell, basically a meditation on, on a sort of religious meditation written during the Blitz in 1940. I found an incredible response to that from a German audience. It can't be avoided, but of course there are a lot of comparisons with you and Peter Piers because a lot of the repertoire that you sing, maybe 70-80% of it is of course what he did. Is that difficult for you sometimes in that direction to have this comparison often? I feel okay about it because I've, I think I'm sufficiently distant from him. I think the previous generation of British singers were people who were taught by him or knew him. People like Tony Roth Johnson or Philip Langridge. I feel relatively easy about it, but I feel also we have all got such different voices and in a sense also vocal fashion has moved on. Of course another great singer that had an incredible influence on you is Fischer Diskar. What were the, the qualities that fascinated you so much about him? I think I first heard Fischer Diskar in um, a recording of Erlkönig with Gerald Moore playing in, in a German lesson and it was at a very early stage of my German studies so I didn't understand what was being sung word by word. I had obviously be, we were told what the story was by our teacher but I immediately felt an incredible sense of communication and that, that somebody was urgently trying to tell me something and I think that's what I always find with Fischer Diskaus singing and there are so many other qualities that one can think of. You said already that you sensed the power, the communication of this particular form of music, leader. Do you think it's important for an audience to actually understand every word that a singer's singing? No, I mean, it's ideal, and there is a real difference between singing to 
singing Winterreise to a German audience and singing it to an English audience. But I don't think it's really necessary because I think m music communicates on so many different levels and there's a sort of subliminal level of communication which is in some sense is often as or more powerful and is part of the whole thing. You started out of course studying philosophy and history mm -hmm. and I'm wondering how much of that part of you is still part of your musical interpretation and your performance as a singer. I think it's part of, of um, trying to find new repertoire and trying to discover about what I'm singing, but I, it doesn't have any, any impact at all in a way in performance, in that performance is a sort of emotional, dramatic thing. But it does go into the preparation, and I suppose I, I sometimes like to study things and think about things and find out new information about things. The bulk of your work, or a lot of your work, of course, is, is with Lida, but you also sing a lot of opera as well. Do you prepare yourself in different ways for that? I mean, is, is there a different aspect to the voice necessary for opera that is perhaps inappropriate for Lida? Yes, I mean, I've, I've, one of the frustrating things about opera sometimes is a tradition that's grown up of quite a, a large orchestral sound which actually inhibits vocal colour. When you're working with a pianist or with a continuo group, you can work very closely together to achieve incredibly quiet vocal colours and they will work in any hall that's acoustically good. It's not a question of the size of the hall. I mean, you can sing pianissimo, pianissimo, pianissimo in, the, in Carnegie Hall and be heard at the very back. It's not a problem as long as you're singing correctly. But it's very rare that you can get an orchestra to play what I think of in a leader context as a pianissimo. A pianissimo, for me, I mean PPP, is a sound where the audience have to sit very still and slightly strain to listen. Well, away from the orchestra, of course, the, your orchestra that travels with you all the time is your pianist, and mm. you work with a number of different people, of course, a lot with Julius Drake, yes. but also with Mitsuko Uchida and, and Graham Johnson and various other people. Do you sometimes like to perform certain music with certain pianists? Is there a particular way? And do, do they inspire you in a certain way to their, perhaps their fortes in certain ways to do certain repertoire, or is it pretty well everything with everybody? I suppose I don't have enough experience in a way of working with the large range of people. I mean, so much of my work until now has been with Julius. Um, it's really, I still feel that my, my main work is grounded in working with Julius, in that I think a, a having a partnership where you work together a lot and that you understand each other is very important. But it is also, I think, important to work with other people to get inspiration from them, and I'm starting to do that. But they're sort of, in a way, they're sort of little breaks rather than the sort of meat and two veg of, of, um, of daily life, which is about building a relationship, I think. Obviously, working on Schubert with somebody like Mitsuko or with Lofova Ansnes is interesting because they are playing the solo repertoire and there is a, there is a connection there. It's been actually nearly 10 years mm -hmm. since you've made your Wigmore Hall debut. Could you have imagined perhaps it not working the way it did? Was it a surprise, all of this? Has it been easy to cope with? Um, it was a surprise, but I suppose I, I was very... I'm such a... Com I, I mean, probably such a competitive and ambitious person and need to f be successful at what I'm doing that I, I suppose I tried... I, I was very lucky I was able to try it out and see whether it worked before I committed to it fully. I mean, I would, because I was in the very lucky situation of having a research fellowship, which is a three-year job, very badly paid, but nevertheless a job which only involves doing research and writing a book and where your time is totally flexible so you don't have office hours. I, in, the, in that period, I was able to experiment and see whether I 
would work as a singer. And by the time I'd left that job, I already knew that I would have at least a reasonable... I mean, at least I could make a living as a singer. I, and I was also incredibly lucky in that the first, the very first job I got as I f- started full-time in 95 was, a, was to record Dishona Miller in, to, only because another singer cancelled. So and once that happened, that was really... It rolled from there, but I couldn't have imagined it would have been quite so... I mean, it's weird to be to be one of the only singers with a record contract to record leader and not to be a German. <laughs> it's, I feel incredibly privileged because I I never would have. I mean, it was my I suppose it was my adolescent fantasy, as it were, to 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 do that, but I never thought it was possible. <laughs> British tenor Ian Bostridge singing The Earl King. This is Brendan O'Shea. For a deeper dive into my interviews and features, please explore tall-poppies.com. That's tall-poppies.com. I appreciate your interest and hope you enjoy the content. <laughs>